We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Ron, you mentioned last night that you'll review everything and look to make necessary adjustments. At this point, do you expect that to include any changes to the staff? No, no. We've what game five? We've got twelve left to play. Um, there's plenty of football left. Ron Rivera. Moments ago, uh, he's not firing anybody. Not today, anyway. No staff changes, and as far as we know, he's got his job. For now as well. What a debacle last night. I put out right after the game a 45-minute or so post-game recap. That's available all weekend long wherever you get this podcast. Cooley's on the podcast here with me today. He will jump on in about a minute. Jay Gruden after that, and then I'll finish up the show with my smell test and talk a little bit about Maryland's game uh, tomorrow at Ohio State. The show, as it is every day, is presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. They'll take good care of you. They've got their best deal of the year going on right now. You buy two windows, you get two free with no limit. So if you need 20 windows, you're only going to pay for 10 of them. And then you don't have to put any money down. You won't make any payments and no interest for two years. So by the time you start making your payments, it's the year 2025 and you're paying half price on the windows. Windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. So uh, Cooley is with me here to start the show uh, following last night's embarrassing, humiliating 40 to 20 loss to Chicago. That was some fun, wasn't it? That was a that was a phenomenal game. I mean, really solid play across the board. Seemed well prepared. Seemed like they had them ready to go, rock and roll, you know, off the bat, you know. You had it was, a, it was embarrassing. You took the Bears, right? I took the Bears outright. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> uh, I love it. Like I I I um I had them plus six. I wanted to take him earlier in the week, plus seven. I did not take him on the money line. And I, I I typically would, as you know, but I just, these Thursday night games are so unpredictable. And I, I wanted Washington to win like, you know, a three, I wanted them to win 24, 21, 23, 20, something like that. And, and call it a day. 
Um, but that was easy uh, for sure. Do, do you think as you were? Did you watch the whole game, or did you did you bail at any point? Oh no, I sat and watched the whole game. We watched it and had dinner at the bar with three or four buddies. So you're watching it without sound. But we we sat there and drank beers and watched the entire game. It stayed fairly interesting till the end. Till, till you got to the the conversation we had two weeks ago, which is you are really not down two scores, down sixteen. Right, right. But you really are only down two scores. Um. Well, no, what you're saying is down 16, when you hear you know people say they're down two possessions, down two scores, no, they're more likely down three scores because you're not more likely than not going to make both two-point conversions. Um, but b- b- you watched and stuck it out to the end, and you said it got interesting. I think it got very interesting. I, I think the missed field goal – was the end of the game, but if he had made it, I think Washington's got a legitimate chance to win the game, and maybe at that point, down seven with five minutes to go, having dominated the second half, and to me, Chicago looked like they were gagging. They were trying to run the clock out starting late third quarter. I think if they had, I think they would have won the game. I think it's very possible they would have gotten a stop, gone down the field, and by the way, let's just let, let's play out the hypothetical. He makes the field goal 30 to 23. They get the stop. They're driving down the field and with, you know, 18 seconds to go, they score a touchdown. It's 30 to 29. Do you go for two or not? No. Me neither. Why why wouldn't you? If you just mounted First of all, this is so dumb. It's not even close to what happened, but if you just mounted an unprecedented comeback against the Bears, who you're a much better team than. And I think you should be able to stop. Why would I risk it on one play? I, I really, truly, at that point, feel like I'm going to beat the Bears in overtime. Yeah. It's interesting a week ago with the Eagles, because it's a phenomenal team. And you got to continue to play really good ball. I think they should. I'm beating the Bears in overtime, Kev. It's going to happen. Yeah. I know. I, I, I'm with you. I mean, at that point, like the reason I thought if he made the field goal, they were going to come back and tie the game or have a chance to tie the game is I, you could see the Bears. They were gassed. They were losing players left and right. They were they had blown a 28-7 to lead on Sunday against Denver, and they saw the whole thing, you know, repeating again in front of them. And then you know, he missed the field goal. Many of you, by the way, got said to me, it was not a good snap. And I said, it was a good snap. Okay. It wasn't a bad snap. It wasn't a picture perfect snap, but it was a picture perfect hold. I mean, he didn't miss the kick because the snap was just a tiny bit high. Um, it was a 46. They with a bad snap all the time. Right. That was not a bad snap. Some people were I, – I said last night, I said, good weather, good snap, good hold, crap kick. And people uh, – I had a couple of people say, dude, go back and watch it again. It was not a good snap. 
I watched it five times. It was a little bit high and a little bit inside, but it was totally handle, easily to easy to handle by Tressway, and he got it down in rhythm. The dude missed the kick. And at that point, they had the Bears, believe it or not, on the ropes a bit. They did. But they didn't deserve to win the game. They didn't deserve to actually have a chance to win the game. So let's start there. Uh, your big overarching theme from the 40-20 to 20 loss last night to the Bears was what? My big overarching theme is, is something I read this morning, and it's, it's was Ron Rivera's job in trouble this year? Is it in trouble? He's got a great reputation. He's just never had great success, especially in Washington. It's like this is why you just you can't lose these games. You can't get down early in these games to the Bears. It's, it's like this just if you're a good team, win these games. You're a good team consistently find these ways. Like they can be, but they're not. There's just there's a lack of consistency. And I understand the problems. And I understand where they're at with a lot of stuff, but geez, Kev. The overarching theme is who are they? They got run by the Bears early in this game. They started out with a third and nine and DJ Moore who just tore him up the entire game is getting deep down the field. Like it's an ugly game against a team that I think that they're much better than. I, I thought Fields played well. I thought E.J. Moore was electric. I, but I thought Washington was garbage. And by the way, are they going to stop giving up 30 points a game? Are you going to give up 30 points to the Bears? You know, are they going to consistently try to run the ball? Because I don't think they ran the ball after some point in the second quarter. 55 consecutive offensive snaps, I think I read, without a called run. <laughs> that's got to be an NFL record. I don't know if it is or isn't, but that's, you know. I mean, the, Patri- the Patriots did that on purpose for a few years. Yeah. Like, the Patriots would do that. It's got to be a record. That's unbelievable, really. Yeah. Um so here it is. Uh, Washington called 55 consecutive pass plays without a run from early in the second quarter until the end of the game. The longest passing streak in the PFF era. Um, oh, my God. So there you go. The, but, you know, they really should have stuck with the run because Brian Robinson Jr. had 10 yards on six carries. There's not even a... Honestly, it's not a relevant stat. Six carries. Six carries, ten yards, yeah. I mean, the other thing is with a young quarterback in a short week, getting him ready to throw 55 balls, I mean, he must have came off the field and said, no, I'm really seeing the defense right now. (laughs) I'm I'm really (laughs) – I'm feeling this defense. Put the ball in my hand, coach. So, all right. Um, so th- th- it starts with it starts with this. They were not prepared to play the game, and I know that fans, and I'm one of them, will use descriptions like you know they're flat. They came out flat. They were unprepared. The whole thing. 
Last night, I really felt the lack of energy, the lack of urgency. And to me, it showed up in a lot of places, but where maybe somebody who's a fan can tell more than anything is tackling how many people are running towards trying to tackle somebody. Um, It just looked lethargic from the beginning. And you played in some of these short week games. How many Sunday to Thursday games did you play in during your career? During your career? Oh, the, it had to be seven or eight or ten. It had to be. It had to be a few. So what? What? What's the biggest challenge in getting ready from a Sunday afternoon game and then getting ready for a Thursday night game? I think it depends on where you are. For me, mentally, it wasn't the, the biggest challenge to try to understand what we were going to do and how we were going to operate and understand our playbook, but, you know, against Philly last week, a tough game that they fight till the end, and getting my body ready is a big challenge for the Thursday game. Right. You know, it was was most weeks, once I got into the season, that Wednesday was a, man, I'm sore today at practice still. Like, I got to run off some of the the soreness. It wasn't rust. It was like, geez, I just, Ugh. Ugh. That's how I feel. And by Thursday, I started to feel okay. And then normally it was Friday that I felt really good. It was about that much time into the week that I felt really pretty good. Like the bruises kind of went away, and the stiffness and the lethargicness of my body started to go away. Some of the quick twitch came back. So for me, it was it was the preparation for the week. It, they're early in the year, so I don't know if we're tired, stiff, sore. I don't, it sure didn't affect the Bears. No, it didn't. I, what I'm getting at is, is it fair to put a lot of getting a team ready from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from a game plan standpoint, is it fair to put a lot of that on the coach and the staff? I think it's 100% fair to put a lot on the coach, a lot on the staff. And I, I think there are a lot of ways that you can approach a Thursday night game. Knowing you've got a Thursday night game at this point in the season, there, there's a lot of preparation that you can do preseason for this. You know, you can start to put together a tentative game plan for what, what you're going to do against the Bears on Thursday night. So you're not finishing Philly, driving back to the facility, and just crushing game film all night and trying to find a plan and trying to find a – you can have this early. You can have a pre-prep in July for what you're going to do against the Bears. I mean, obviously things can change, but you, you have a concept. I mean, you can – like, I know who Eberflus is, or Eber, whatever. Is. I, I mean, I know what he's going to do defensively, large in part. You liked him as a defensive coordinator in Indianapolis. I remember that. I, I thought he was terrific in Indianapolis. And thought he did a, a really good job. But a really smart staff, I think, manages getting a game plan for a Thursday night. And the other aspect of it is, is the game plan, is what was the plan there, was what they wanted to do there, was it not executed? I, I mean, it's hard to say on some of that stuff. Did you not get them hyped up? I don't know. Did they practice? Did they have a tough day of practice? Because I hated a tough day of practice in a short week. Yeah. I mean, I, I just wanted to just walk through. I, I just, I felt like from the jump, 
this was a team that wasn't ready to play the game as much as I can describe it that way. Again, the way I said it, lethargic, tackling was terrible. I mean, Khalil Herbert on one play carried like six guys, eight yards. I mean, and, you know, um, so let me just, let me me start with a couple things. So you don't know this because we haven't been talking this week, but earlier this week I did this segment on the radio show where I asked everybody their level level of concern about the defense. And it was zero concern uh, if you were zero, five, you were, you know, five alarm. And most people were very concerned. And I said, I'm a 0.5. I think they just played a really good effing team. I'm a little bit concerned about the secondary, which I was after Philadelphia. Um, They just played Josh Allen the week before, and you cannot put that loss on the defense. The the offense turned the ball over five times and got sacked for like 100-plus yards nine times. And I and I and I said I I think it'll come around. I'm still confident in it. I the, I was a little bit uh, you know I, I'm still a little bit with respect to the defense upset that we don't have an absolute havoc wreaker out there. But I like Payne as a player. I like John Allen as a player. I like Sweat as a player. I think Chase Young played well last night. Not thrilled with the backers, but I thought the safeties coming in would be okay. Um, I like St. Juice in particular, um, but I was wrong. Okay, let me just start. I should have been more alarmed when I did this. Hey, Kevin, what's your concern on a scale of zero to five, five being a five-alarm fire with Washington's defense right now? Right now? <laughs> Certainly a four. I'm at a I'm, I'm, I, I may. <laughs> he went from a 0.5 <laughs> to a four in the span of two days. I'm, you know what? He's such a fan. But, but I also want to just mention, because those that are listening know that I talked about this all week, and I really talked about it with Tommy yesterday. I watched that Denver-Chicago game, and I said, I don't think you guys realize Chicago's got some dudes on offense. DJ Moore is a high-level number one wide receiver in this in this league. Cole Komet is a developing big-time pass-catching tight end. Their running back Herbert has great vision. They've got other speed players on offense. Mooney is actually shifty and, and fast. And if you haven't watched Justin Fields enough to know that he is capable of making a lot of big plays. Also, by the way, making some bad plays. But I go, I just said, they, to me, for three quarters against Denver, but they looked awesome. And I thought that there was a chance that Chicago's best defense was going to be their offense last night. Because what was also really obvious in watching Chicago is they had the worst defense in the league coming in, and they were missing multiple players in their secondary. But with all that said, I was wrong. I did not really – I didn't hit the alarm after – Buffalo in Philly. There's no reason I should have done it after Buffalo. Sorry, I'm not backing away from the fact that the defense was not the problem against Buffalo. And in fact, they played okay. They 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 held them to 16 points. It was defensive touchdown and short fields and just and they played great against Arizona. You didn't watch the Arizona game. They totally took over the Arizona game. 
and and did the kind of things that we hoped this defense was capable of doing, which was take over a game. But they weren't they were not good against Philadelphia. And last night was humiliation at the highest level. And I, I think I talked about this on my postgame pod last night, but what's really alarming about last night was as much the secondary was alarming. But they gave up 5.6 yards officially per carry, 178 yards rushing. But they gave it up to, you know, the starting running back Herbert who left the game, Roshan Johnson from Texas, the rookie who left the game. They had their backup, they had their fullback in there playing halfback in the fourth, the late third quarter and fourth quarter. And he's the one that brought the average down to 5.6. Khalil Herbert averaged averaged 7.6 yards per carry. Roshan Johnson averaged 6.3 yards per carry. What's really, in kind of almost hindsight, the most alarming part of the defensive performance last night wasn't that people were running wide open because DJ Moore's good and Justin Fields' off schedule is great, and they didn't get him off schedule for, for a lot of that, but they got gashed, gashed in the run game. And I just – I thought that they got run on a little bit in the first two games of the year, but I thought they did a good job stopping the run against Philly last week. I thought Buffalo's yardage on the ground pretty much was the quarterback on scrambles. And then in the fourth quarter – doesn't, Buffalo doesn't want to run the ball. Fourth quarter, you know, um, Dalvin Cook's brother ended up with a bunch of big runs, but that game was 37 to nothing at that point. I, I just – Right. I can't believe – how bad they were overall, but how they completely couldn't stop the run. They had a third and nine and a third and ten draw for two draws for first downs. I know. So, look, for me, you know, my game take, which I did last night, and I'm going to do, you know, another version of it here. Uh, the, the defense was one, two, and three as to the reasons they lost the game. Just like the Buffalo game, you can say the defense played badly, but the offense was reason one, two, and three why they lost that football game. Last night was humiliation by a team that wasn't as good as Philly or Buffalo, nowhere near it, but capable offensively, but nowhere near Philly and Buffalo. And they got completely torched embarrassingly torched. They gave up 304 yards in the first half. Uh, At halftime, here are the numbers at halftime in the first half. These are embarrassing numbers for an NFL team to have at halftime defensively. Chicago had 307 yards, excuse me, 27 points. They were 6 of 9 on third down, and they had 14 first downs. I I, and and you know what? It could have been a lot worse. They Fields missed a it couple. It looked like a free for all. Fields could have. He missed a couple of throws. There was a pi clearly on St. Juice on Mooney in the end zone that they didn't call. Yep. The first play of the game was a deep shot to Mooney that misses. But if you go back and watch it, Fuller hooks him. Should have been called for it. Um. And then you know. I had some people telling me, well, you know, they played much better in the second half. I think Philly took uh, Philly. I think Chicago took their foot off the pedal. I think they were trying they to run hurt, out the clock. And they were hurt. And they were hurt. 
terrible. It was, it was really, it was really bad. And I don't know what it, it's not. It, it is not a bad defense. Let's just put it that way. Talent wise, it is not a bad defense. So they have the dudes. So what's the issue? Is it coaching? Yeah, yeah, it's coaching and play. I mean, it's it's also playing with consistency. I mean, I'm not. It's a lot different when you're in a locker room to understand what the issue is. But I'll bet you, I'll bet you right now, I would bet on this. There's about 25 players motherfucking what happens in their week and their game plan and their coaching staff. And there's about seven coaches going, these guys just don't get it. <laughs> right. Is what I would bet you is happening right at this moment. Like, I bet there's just every dude in that locker room pointing a finger somewhere. Because both sides understand. The players understand that they're good players. The coaches, I'm assuming, think they're good coaches. And I know they know they have good players, but... Man, these dudes just don't listen. There's a huge disconnect between coaching and playing, and I'm not sitting here putting it on either side, but I think it's probably on both. I think we need to figure something out. So let me mention something to you and to everybody that's listening. It's just something that I was told. Um, This isn't any kind of a report at all, okay? It's just something that I was told is that the secondary very much misses Chris Harris, who was their secondary coach, left in the offseason to become the defensive pass game coordinator and the cornerbacks coach in Tennessee working for Vrabel. And in his place, Jack Del Rio put Brett Visselmeyer. Visselmeyer apparently has a relationship with Del Rio. Del Rio um, likes him, and this has been a big part of why they've got issues in the secondary, is that a lot of the secondary players, a lot of people out there believe that they really miss Chris Harris. So I'll ask you, can you really miss a position coach that much where it really makes a massive difference in your play in the secondary? No, shouldn't. You gotta really, you gotta really dislike a dude. I don't know that I, they I dislike him. Was a, I think that I think that there were a few relationships that I saw in our locker room with guys that I knew that really didn't like a couple coaches. And oddly enough, it, it was more times than not in the secondary. You really gotta not. Trust the techniques you're being taught and not believe in what they're. I don't know. The, the crazy thing when you watch the game, though, too, like the secondary, and some with Philly, like I mentioned this last week with Philly, a lot of plays that DJ Moore made are contested throws. Like Kendra Fuller trying to jump something and, and just not getting there. Right. And then DJ Moore's running. Yep. Like, I, I mean, I don't see this as a. Like consistently, what, where were you covering? Because I thought you were covering there, and now he's behind us. And he's going, like, it's guys just getting beat. It's a lot of guys getting beat where the, they are where they're supposed to be, or the, they're trying to make a play in that situation, but they're not making the play. The other thing with, with some of the risk taking, it's like 
hey, this is a game that like let's make fields beat us over and over and over again. Like don't don't take risks. Don't get out of position jumping for a ball. You know, you know let's let's make him consistently make throws. He's got to make throws. We'll tackle. Uh, can't give up six on big plays, and they just they kept doing it. Yeah, they. they not, I don't. I don't know how much Tampa two they're in. I mean, did you notice though early on? And I haven't gone back and watched the game yet. I don't even want to. Um, but have you noticed? Did you notice early on that their pass rush really wasn't a pass rush? It was more of a contain rush where they just didn't want him to get outside of the pocket, which is one of the reasons he had so much time in the pocket, off play action or non-play action. Like that first drive, if you go back and watch that first drive, it's like the defensive front really isn't rushing. They're just making sure that he doesn't get loose. And then it changed, and they started to rush, and they started to actually at times bring extra rushers. Not a lot of the time. But and they actually, you know, they sacked him three times and had him dead to right two or three other times. Um, but he's, you know, he's pretty good at escaping. So is Sam Howell. Sam Howell got sacked five times in the game. It could have been ten. I mean, how many times did he escape from what appeared to be an absolute sack? More than five. More than five. It's a lot. I think it could have been 14. I don't know about that. You, you expect your your quarterback to escape some. They also gave, they had a, what, three or four times they had a free rusher? Yeah. Free unblocked rusher? Yeah, they did. He got hit a couple times. I think he shook one. By the way, that, like in thinking off. about the short week stuff, another thing that I would really try to do is have a blitz package with some stuff that you just don't have time to prepare, prepare for. Like it is hard to prepare for a blitz package from another team. If they're going to bring a bunch of different looks, it's hard to probably install a blitz package as well in a short week. But again, it's something maybe you work on earlier. You work on some of this in training camp. Like, hey, we're going to hold a couple of these, but we want to be ready to roll when we unveil our new blitz package on Thursday night. But it's hard to really get your line to how we're going to block it this week. There is some complications with that in a short week. All right. So. Let's get to our uh, joint game take here. Um, what, what, what did we used to call it? Uhs and ums? Do you have any? Oh, yeah. This is called the uhs. There's a lot of uhs. There's not many ums. Not many of those. Uh, I'll give you something that I kind of liked from the game. I like Logan Thomas. I think he's a good player. I know he's not a good blocker. I think he's a good, big target uh, he fumbled going for extra yardage last night, understood. I think he is a guy that they really value highly. And he had nine catches on 11 targets. You know, one of those catches was at the end of the first half. I'll get to that here shortly um, for like 24 yards. But I wanted to start with him because I know that you have not been fond of Logan Thomas as a blocker. But what do you think? I'm not of- that disappointed in his blocking. Well, you have been in the yeah, past. Fondham as a blocker is of little importance right now in terms of how people value a tight end. Fair. In, what, in the world we're at here in the NFL. Yeah. I think mean, he's 
I, well, he's developed into a guy that has really good hands, and I think he's developing into a guy and is a guy that knows where he needs to be, has a good relationship with his quarterback, and is a is a great safety blanket. He's not a one on one winner. Like he, he doesn't have enough like to create real one on one separations, but he's. He's you know what you're getting out of him, and he'll make plays. I like Logan Thomas. Okay, I do. He's really developed into a good player. I I mentioned last night on the the list of things that I liked. Uh, you know, ums. I thought, and I and I, I I prefaced with prefaced it with. I mean, it was a dreadful defensive performance, but I thought Chase Young actually made a lot of plays and looks really healthy and explosive again. I thought Sweat and Pain made some plays. Um, And yet they got gashed on the ground. Uh, And I know that's not all them. It's their linebacker play, which isn't very good. But those are the players that I thought, you know, were worthy of mentioning. I I also thought that Curtis Samuel played well. Sitting here, just going through some of this game on the condensed game, and I'm at that pick right at the end of the half. Yeah. Well, save that for the end. Of... <laughs> okay. Well, do you have any? Was there anything from I mean, the game that you liked? The, I... Like some of the good stuff. Yeah. I, I I still like how. Right. The guy can make plays. He makes things happen. He, I mean, he's not going to be perfect all the time. I'm not suggesting that he is the franchise quarterback and that he's going to be the next Peyton Manning or the next Drew Brees. I'm I'm not saying he's not either. I think that's really lofty. But what I do see in Hal is the ability to move in the pocket, escape in the pocket, throw the ball on the move, throw the ball from the pocket, accurately throw the ball. I think he's got some zip on on it. I, I like his arm. I I do. I'm not I, I still am a mm, in in Hal. <laughs> he's 37 of 51 in this game for 388 yards. They didn't run the ball. He's got one pick, which you said we're going to get to, which is we will get to, which is an yeah, but I don't even know if that's on that's To me, that's not even on the quarterback, just so we're clear on that. I, I put that on the receiver. But I do, I do like Howell. He's, to me, is a mm in this game. It might be the only one. I, mean, I know you like Chase Young and feel like Chase Young played well. And like, there's really, they were resilient enough to get themselves in the game in the in the second half. Where if they make a field goal, it it becomes really interesting. Really, interesting. really, really interesting. Yeah, but I mean, terrible snap. So uh, yeah, um, not a bad snap. But just so again, I know they were further into the podcast. Perfectly fine snap. Perfectly fine. <laughs> We're further along. Very, in case, very, in case very, you very in case you jumped ahead of the conversation about the snap earlier, um, I didn't have Sam on either one of my things I liked list or things I didn't like. But I did, I did say last night, and I'll say it again right now. There are just some things in watching him now for five weeks that I like too. Um, I'm far from you know coming to any conclusion and I would still bet against him being you know an upper echelon starting quarterback in the NFL more likely than not but I love his toughness I love his ability to 
you know, make plays and be tough off schedule. All of the stuff actually that we said about Taylor Heineke, but there's a big difference. Sam Howe He's can really throw. Oh, of course he is. He can really throw it, and okay. he can throw it with zip. He can throw it with touch. That touch pass down the sideline to, to, to Gibson. We know we saw one last week against Philly. He threw a beautiful touch pass into a zone hole against uh, to Terry last night. He he also, um, I think, has gotten much better, and I, I give Eric Bieniemy some of this credit. They've gone to, like they did Sunday against Philadelphia, just much more of the quick game because his flaws are a problem. He holds on to it long, uh, too long. Why is he hold on, holding on to it too long? I don't know. You can explain it better, but perhaps because he's just taking too long to get through his progressions or he just wants to make a play. Um, but he's, he's learning. He's on a record. He's on a record-breaking sack pace at this point, and he has saved himself. He's got. He's been sacked 29 times in five games, and because of his toughness and his escape ability, he's probably saved himself from another 10 to 12 sacks this year. Um, I think sometimes he's or 20. Maybe. I think sometimes <laughs> some he's of them inaccurate. Are the ball's not out. I think sometimes he's inaccurate. Um, but I don't know that that I think he's more accurate. I think he's accurate more of the time than less accurate more of the time. Um, but I, I didn't know what to expect coming into the season. That's why I was not willing to sit here and say, well, we're giving him 17 games. Well, I'm not giving him 17 games. If he sucks, he's clearly proven that he's got something to him. I still think he looks small and makes himself sometimes in that in that pass rush when he's crowded. It's almost like he disappears sometimes, and then also and then all of a sudden reappears. But he can he can do some things. I agree with you. Um, and so I didn't I didn't have him on my good list. I thought there were some bad plays. I want to hear right now. Actually, I don't want to wait for it. I want to hear right now why you think that that interception that Greg Stroman came up with was on the receiver and not him, because I thought it looked like he was super late getting to it and then threw it late. He is he is super late getting to it, and he does throw it late. But this this goes back to how things have to happen. They are running carry on a five to six yard sit route just inside the numbers then they're running they're carrying a flat defender outside of that with the running back curtis samuel is running when he makes his break a seven yard dig this is 12 this is minimum first break at 10 but it's realistically to create that separation that high low separation this is a 12 yard route like you might roll it at 10, 11, but you're rolling it to 12, 13. It's a common concept run in all football. You're trying to high-low the linebackers. Well, they really, they have man coverage. So there's no, like, you don't have to have it high-low here. But how is not ready to throw the ball when Samuel is open? He needed two to three more yards pushed vertical to have the right timing to throw the ball. Okay. He shouldn't have thrown it as well. But the receiver runs a bad route, period. No doubt. I mean, how can say I shouldn't have thrown that ball? 
and Sherman does a good job jumping in front of it. But we actually had this conversation like two weeks ago. They were running a couple in routes, and we're like, man, it looks like they're running into each other. Right. Well, it's the same real concept on this play. Logan Thomas looks like he's going to run into Samuel. Well, he's they're too he's short on their route. They're too short on their route. That's the, the, that route's got to be run at ten to twelve yards. Okay. Period. You can't complete. You can't really execute that concept with a seven-yard dig. Not realistic. I mean, I'm watching. Like, it. I, like going back to this, like I'll never forget. Like I've always laughed at this. We, the the old drift play that we used to run all the time. Right. Robert Griffin com- completed eighty balls, where you, you go a little bit of run action and then receivers bending into the middle of the field. We're sitting there watching the Bengals and Chad Ochocinco run a drift play, and Kyle's mfing him like. Hey, you guys know why this ball's late and high? Because Chad runs this route at seven yards, and it's a twelve to fourteen yard route, and we don't—we're not set to throw it at that point. Our drop isn't tied to that. Our eyes aren't tied to that. This is—this has got to be three yards to four yards more, which is essentially a half second longer. And that—that's how it works. That's how the operation is understood, taught the timing of it. Samuel rushes his route. I mean. I'm just watching this. <clears throat> it, the line. Explain this to me because the line of scrimmage. You see where the line of scrimmage is, right? W- what does the line of scrimmage look like to you? It's a 25 yard line, correct? Yeah. Curtis Samuel breaks that. Oh, you're saying he broke it at seven yards? Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you. No, he, and you can clearly see that. The the first down marker that's on the field is, is at ten yards. Yeah, he he starts to break that route at the first step after he crosses five yards. Yeah, he starts to break that route in, which is also why Logan Thomas is directly running into him on the play. I, I, on the other side of it, I think Logan Thomas on the like, go back to this whole concept. Logan Thomas is hop stepping, right? If you watch this play again, Logan Thomas is taking a little hop step. Almost always indicates a option route. Yeah, I see it. We're going to put Logan Thomas with Dotson. We're going to let him run an option route. Well, Logan Thomas's side is soft coverage. Backers on both sides of him, or a nickel on the outside and a backer on the inside of him. And he's breaking in to try to run in front of the backer. This is, if this is an option route, this is a sit-down route, not a break-in route. Not a break-out route, not a break-in route. This is a sit-down route. You sit. Which then also continues to hold the outside cornerback onto Logan Thomas because he's sitting there, and then which would allow you to throw the corner over the top to Dotson if you wanted to throw the corner over the top. So really, you have two failures, in my opinion, in the route running in this situation. Two failures. You had Dotson running the corner, who could have been open had Logan Thomas sat. And by the way, that's where Sam Howe looks first, but he sees the corner soft as, as Logan Thomas breaks in. I mean, you're sitting there watching it with me. I think you can kind of follow along. I've moved, I've moved on to other action. I think you should have. Th- I think you just should have thrown it to Logan on a sit down. I think you should have banged it to Logan Thomas. But maybe he's trying to hold eyes to hold the underneath coverage long enough to throw. I mean, that anyone can ask Sam. You know, maybe he's holding eyes on this play long enough to know that he's going to hold 53 outside the hash so he can throw the ball into the middle of the hash. Curtis Samuel, but if he has to hold eyes long enough to throw to 
hold 53, Samuel can't be breaking till he crosses 10 yards. And then it's, by the way, watch it again, fucking wide open. Yeah, An but, easy throw. But, is he, but is he sacked, anyway, is he sacked is, by then? Point is, it, uh, it also, and this goes back to, to all of what it is, it is a new offense. It's a new offensive coordinator. It's a new style. It's a new system. It takes some time to learn. It's a new quarterback within a new style and a new system, which doesn't make it any easier. And you're watching a lot of film that isn't you. You're watching a lot of film that Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, and it just takes some time. Right. But I don't hate what Hal's doing. I didn't I, – I – Give him a grade for the game last night. I mean, it's hard for I you. I can't grade. I mean, okay. I don't know. I didn't watch it close enough. Today, but C plus, B minus. That's what I gave him. C plus, B minus range. Um, well, I like him more than you, so maybe it's a B. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, it's I, hard for me to say no, when, no, you, no. when I watch it on He's, TV. And... There, there's a lot that's going on, and I think a lot of it has to do with last week. I think I think the, the change from all of the dropbacks – um, to more quick game, I think really suits him, and it, and and he looks good, and he looks good doing it. Um, I thought there was a deep throw to Deami Brown, his college teammate, that I thought was just a little bit overthrown. Should have been a touchdown. Yeah, but I also thought Deami could have laid out for that a little bit. But I there's a lot to like about Sam. I I've you know I'm I'm not. You're not there, and I'm not there either. We got to see a lot more, but there are some things that he does very well. And you know, part of me does think that some of this is because of what we've watched the last couple of years—that it's just better than what we've. We're comparing it to what we've watched the last couple of years, and it's better than that. Anyway, uh, let me go through real quickly the list of things that I didn't like. Um, the whole start was awful. Uh, we've kind of touched on that. They, they tackled poorly. They couldn't cover. Um, they couldn't stop the run, which was so frustrating. Fields made a lot of really good plays. Obviously, uh, DJ Moore made a lot of good pay- plays, but you know, they got lucky. I mean, Fields missed some wide open receivers there. I think there were at least two missed defensive pass interference calls, including the one in the end zone on the ball, to Mooney in the first half. You know, they just 304 yards, 27 points, six, six of nine on third down. That's that's as bad as you can possibly, possibly do in a half of football in the NFL. The team didn't punt. Chicago didn't punt in the first half. Um, I uh, I thought Cody Barton, I think 57 Cooley, is really struggling. They benched Forbes. Uh, he was really struggled last week against Philly. Then last night he was struggling again. They benched him. They brought in Danny Johnson. Um, it, it just was one of the worst halves of football. And you just can't – you can recover, and they almost did recover from 27-3 to 3 down. But, again, I, I, would, I would say that all the injuries to Chicago in the second half – they took their their foot off the gas pedal offensively. They played a little bit soft, even though they were sending pressure defensively, um, and they were trying to run the clock out, which led to some of the second half benefit, which was you know a half in which the offense put up you know in the second half three hundred and four yards in the second half and seventeen points, and it should have been twenty. And if it had been twenty, it may have been more than that 
if they'd gotten the score to 30-23. But, you know, I'm not one to sit there and say that all of a quarterback's yards when they're down by three touchdowns are garbage yards against soft defense. Sometimes it's true, sometimes it isn't. I don't think all of Sam's 37 completions and 388 yards were garbage yards against soft defense. They were coming after him a lot in the second half, which is why he continued to get hit. He continued to get sacked. Um, By the way, just as a quick aside, when that game was over, I just would not have had Sam dropping back anymore. He got sacked another two times. Like, run the ball or throw bubble screens or throw screens, but don't drop them back down 37-20 to 20 with the game over. Uh, he, uh, he, he took it. Right, right. They did it, they did it with, in, in the Buffalo game as well. They did it in the Buffalo game as well. He took, he took a beating, an unnecessary beating. Um, uh, also, on the, so the first half, just a disaster, you know, completely with the defense. But I don't, I, I don't think it is out of line to suggest that the offense didn't do its part in the first half either. Okay, this was a horrendous defense coming in, and they had three starters out. And they couldn't run the football. They tried briefly, and they averaged 1.7 yards per carry with Brian Robinson Jr. By the way, on that first third down stop on their very first drive of the game, I think somebody – we never saw the replay, but I went back and looked at it. I think Logan Thomas on the second down throw may have had the first down, but they didn't look at it and they didn't challenge it and whatever. Um, they got stuffed on a third and one. Gates whiffed. Uh, they threw an interception. They had three points. They were lucky to get the three because he had a pass deflected on third and four that should have been intercepted. Uh, they, they, the offensive line stinks. I mean, Sam holds it too long, but it's not a good run blocking line and it's not a good pass blocking line. Um, I already mentioned the fact that, you know, Rivera's obviously at the top of this list too, uh, for not having his team ready for those that, that didn't listen to it last night. The end of the first half was a joke. You're down 20 to 3. They're getting ready to score either on a field goal or a touchdown to go up 23 to 3 or 27 to 3. You've got three timeouts and they there's over a minute to go and you don't use any of them. Like once it was first and goal at the 4 with a minute left, you should have hit your first timeout. Second and goal, second and goal, second timeout. You should have had that ball back with 40 some odd seconds left and a chance to go down. Instead, you got it back with 19, and you took one timeout with three seconds to go on a drive at the end of the first half that you really really weren't trying to score. Just terrible. Ron was stunned by the whole nature of the first half. You can't be stunned as the head coach. you got to get extra possessions when you're down 24 points. And then Joey Sly missing the field goal is on the list of things I didn't like. A couple of other quick observations, and I'm going to ask you a question. At 27 to 11, they were driving. They got to stop their driving. It's third quarter, about three and a half to go. Sam gets out of one of those, you know, should be sacks on third and 12, and he runs for nine yards. And it's fourth and three. Did you have a problem with him kicking the field goal to make it 27 to 14, or would you have gone for it? I'd have gone for it. Um, I was okay with him kicking the field goal. There were lots. Uh, well, you're down 27. Okay. 
So you're trying at that point to make it a two-score game, and you do have time. My, my concern at the point, we're, we're at 27-11 with this fourth and three. My concern is that we haven't stopped Chicago enough. Well, you had him in the first drive so, of the second half. And I understand three that, but I, yeah. throughout this game, my concern is can we stop him? We can't trade, like... We can't trade field goals. Like, if we can't stop Chicago at, at all throughout the game, and then when we do end up stopping them to hold them to a field goal, we're just trading points, which is exactly what happened, right? Didn't yeah. Chicago yes. immediately go down the field and kick a field goal? Yes. So you're, tra- you're trading three for three. Well, you're, you're, you're not, you're not trying to, to trade three for three. But in my, like, in my mind, I think maybe potentially your mind, I think a lot of people watching the game, the feeling was you're not going to stop them. You haven't stopped them. And I think that's hard. Like, a coaching staff doesn't understand that necessarily. By the way, that's the drive that D.J. Moore steps out of bounds that he probably has a chance to score on if he doesn't step out of bounds. Um, and then he's jumping up and down on the right sideline. Like, ah, darn it. Um, I don't. No, I would have went for it. I, I would have went for it. It's deep enough in the game, in my opinion, that you're saying if we trade three, like, if they do have a drive where they go down and get three, they're going to take five, six, four, four minutes off the clock for sure, and we're back in that position where we're in trouble. It, whatever, it all works out because they go and score, and they have a chance if they make the field goal. So, real quickly, they open up the second half, and they go 75 yards in five plays in three minutes, and they go get the two-point conversion, which I love that play by Sam um you know the the play action the off schedule the run for for the two point conversion they get a they get mm-hmm. a they force a punt then the Logan Thomas fumble is the next drive then it's a three and out with a sack and a forced punt so the defense has now gotten Chicago off the field quickly in two straight drives Washington's got a little momentum they're driving they get down there in it's fourth and 3 at the Chicago 13 if it's fourth and 1 Fourth and two, I think maybe. Fourth and one, definitely, even though they had been stopped on fourth and one. Fourth and three, I'm kicking because I think there there are too many possessions and too many different scoring opportunities and scoring types left in the game. And I think at that point, if I come away and I get stopped with no points, it's devastating. You know, and it just keeps us, you know, chipping away. I have no idea what the fourth down analytics people would say. My guess yeah. is that fourth yeah, and well, one, fourth there, and two, they probably no would real, say go for it. Yeah, well, there's no real fourth down. The context is what does a fourth down and three look like with our guys against their guys? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the percentages drastically change. Like, Vegas would weigh that differently on the line on that with any defense in the NFL it would be a different line. Right. Or a lot of them. And I like our dudes, if I'm the enemy. I like my dudes more than their dudes. They're not a great defense. We got enough dudes, and our guy our guy Sam could potentially run for it. Okay. I, I'd go for I would have went for it. All right. Um, it, another quick observation. There were a lot of – I don't know if you picked this up watching it um, in, in a bar with, with friends, but – there were a lot of high snaps to Justin Fields. Like th- 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 so many. That's they set- had the backup center in. 
Yeah, they had they had issues with the snaps, and my God, he had great hands and great reaction to that. But I kept thinking that if we can get it close like this and put some game pressure on them, maybe the next one isn't handled so easily, and you end up with a big play. Um, also, no, but it was it was the next one. It was the next one. I think at the point you said that was when he bats down to himself and then takes it for like a, it looks like a bat down quarterback draw. And I'm like, that's actually pretty nifty. Yeah, I can't. I shouldn't say I can't believe. I would not have been surprised if when John Allen sacked Fields and Pyle drove him into the ground. I would not have been surprised had that been flagged. I I would have hated it. But I've seen a lot less flagged. I mean, he went pure full pile drive into the ground on Fields, and it wasn't Fields as a runner; it was Fields still in the pocket for a sack. Um, yeah, what else did I have on my list? Uh, I I didn't think that it was pass interference on the Terry McLaurin play where they picked up the flag. I, I think, you know, you hate to see him throw the flag and then pick it up, but I didn't really yeah. think that that was P.I. against them. I thought there were penalties they I missed against see, us. Uh, I love to see a crew pick up a flag and have a conversation and say, let's, get, let's just get the right call here. Did you think it was pass interference or not? No. Uh, lastly is, hold on, where is it? Um, so Chicago, you know, won the toss and didn't defer. They took the ball. They were very confident with their offense coming into this game. They were very confident and probably not nearly as confident about their defense. And they, they did not want to get behind in this game and they didn't. And they never, ever trailed in the game. It's, you know, I think uh, Al Michaels said 91% of the teams that win the toss um, defer, and the Bears didn't. And I thought that was interesting because I had somebody on from Chicago last week who said they felt really good about the way they, they played against Denver. They've been feeling much better about the way they're playing offensively. And you could see that confidence come in. And, uh, you know, I mentioned, I think, on the on the podcast after the game last night, if I didn't have a true rooting interest or a betting interest in this game, I would have really, as an NFL fan, I would have really respected what Chicago did last night. You know, everybody's got their coach fired last night. The quarterback benched. You know, the defensive coordinator. Game. It's a dead team. They, they haven't won. They, yeah. Yeah. I, oh, just, I just think that. Great job by Chicago. Great job by Chicago. And um, talk to him. And then that leads me to this, and we can finish up. Rivera said right before we started to record this podcast that nobody is getting fired. There aren't going to be any staff changes. Should there be? Who, who, who's going to get fired? Del Rio? No. Ron Rivera? The fans want, they want, they want a scalp for this, for last night. I don't see a... It goes back to whatever's happening in the building. Does someone need fired because something's going on in the building that that isn't discussed? And then, then maybe there's there's an example set. But I don't. This is like the old high school game that we're going to now run twenty gassers on the field after the game because coach is so mad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Gasser's Hills. Yeah. Line them up. Line them up. Um, for, for, us, them up. for us, it was suicides. Hey, Jeff, get your stopwatch out. Get your stopwatch. Yeah. Over I mean, back. 52 seconds. We got beat. We got beat on a. We got beat on a Friday night by thirty. Coach said, "You're in tomorrow morning at seven a.m." And we we were running suicides for about forty five minutes. People are throwing. People are throwing up. You don't want to play hard to start a game. <laughs> must have saved. Must have saved some energy. Let me find a way to burn that extra energy that we didn't burn in the game. Line them up. Start running. Here's what... Hey, your, your legs look tired, guys. Why don't you give me 300 push-ups? Okay, now rest your arms. Run again. <laughs> oh, my God. I I mean, th- I, you know, the funny thing about that stuff, I know we've talked about this probably before. Like, the whole running people, like, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I, I was... I was talking to Gary one day as in Hall of Fame basketball coach Gary Williams. And Gary would always yeah. when I was when I was really coaching a lot, Gary would occasionally I'd call him about something and he always had great advice. But one of the things he I remember he asked me, he said, Do you run your kids like sprints, suicides? And I go, No. And he said, Why? And I said, well, first of all, we have limited practice time. Um, you know, that this is the era of they play more games than they practice. And I and, and he said and I said, I, I want the practice time. If they're practicing well, they're getting, you know, they're getting into condition. And he said to me, and I'll never forget it, he said, I never ran my guys. You know what we did? We practiced press and press break. You want to get a workout? 90 feet of press and press break over and over again. So they're getting the same cardio benefit except they're doing something that's helping them in a game, that they'll actually be doing in a game. And I, I just – I always felt kind of intuitively that way, but that from that moment on it was like, we're you know, really, you guys are goofing off. We're just going to – we're going to practice press and press break. Which, by the way, for anybody that's coaching youth basketball and competitive youth basketball, not, you know, where you can't press or you whatever, you got rec league rules or whatever, yeah. you – Press and press breaks should be the first things that you are working on and trying to perfect, especially press break. Because at young ages, for kids, when you play teams that are maybe more athletic, quicker, and they're full court pressing you and you don't know how to break it and your kids aren't comfortable breaking it, the game gets completely away from you and it's not fun for the kids. So work on press right. and press break. But anyway, we just got sidetracked. I wanted to read to you what Magic... We can't tackle Oklahoma drill. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Um, Magic Johnson, you know, is one of the owners. And this is what was his quote after the game last night. Quote, Tonight the commanders played with no intensity or fire. We didn't compete in the first half and got down 27-3 to heading into halftime. It was too big of a hole to climb out of, and that is why we ended up losing 40-20. to So, let me just... Pretty, pretty, pretty good overarching theme. It, it's, it's a pretty good recap of the game. But with ownership and Magic's, you know, a former player, but he's, in, he's a bit of baseball owner and now he's a football owner, etc., when you use words like intensity and fire and we didn't compete, when those things are said, 
That is an owner that's pissed off about the effort, about perhaps the coaching readiness, yeah. the competitive effort put forth. And that's when you start, and I'm not saying Magic's the decision maker, but Magic in many ways might end up being the face of this franchise. And I'm, you know, I'm a lifelong massive Magic Johnson fan. But I don't think a change is coming anytime soon. I don't. I, I really don't. I think that these guys have come in and this is a sit and watch and learn year and the changes are going to be made when this season is over. But if you have another one like last night, somebody's probably going to pay with their job. And I also want to mention this. Josh Harris, who owns the 76ers, Cooley, and is not the most popular owner for 76ers fans. They're not big fans, you know, typically of Josh Harris. Their next home game here is against the Eagles. There will be, per usual, a lot of Philadelphia fans in the crowd. Imagine if that game gets sideways and the Philly fans start going after Josh Harris. Um, oh, my God, they won't. Oh, they will. Oh, of course they will. They will. They wouldn't do that. They're good fans. They're nice. What else do you have? That's all I got, man. That was dreadful. I got a I got a big Friday afternoon to not worry about this this team again today. Well, we both won our wagers last night. You won a couple of them. You won point spread and money line. Good for you. All right, brother. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you do the same. Jay Gruden next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. 
Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey guys, the fall weather is here. This is the best time of the year in our city. And if you're looking for the ultimate outdoor destination to watch upcoming games, hang out with friends, drink beers, listen to music, look no further than the bullpen. The bullpen located right in the heart of Navy Yard, right next to Nats Park. It's been your go-to spot for baseball for years, and they'll have plenty of baseball on as well. Uh, But now the bullpen is bringing you all the NFL and college football action you can handle. Admission absolutely free. Get your guys together. Wear your team colors. Head on over to the bullpen. They've got the games, the drinks, the energy to make every moment unforgettable. This is the perfect spot for those of you that want to be outside but don't want to miss any of the games. Visit thebullpendc.com to see the game schedule. Great spot, you guys, for outdoor game watching. They'll have all the MLB playoff games on this weekend and during the week and next weekend as well, along with all of the college football and NFL. Thebullpendc.com to see their updated game schedule. All right, jumping on the show as he does every Friday, uh, Jay Gruden, the former head coach of the Washington Redskins. Uh, Jay was very involved in watching the game last night. This is the first time. Actually, we'll probably get to do this one more time after a game because they play Thanksgiving Day. Let's see if they can get prepared for that one in four days. But let me just begin with what the hell happened last night. I don't know. I know Chicago came out, and uh, these are grown men, and they have been getting destroyed in the media. The coaches, the offensive coordinator, the quarterback, they have all been getting crushed in the media. Their secondary is all banged up. Nobody gave these guys a chance, including me. I said, there's no way Chicago can get this done. And they came out and threw haymakers early. And Washington just never responded until it was too late in the third quarter. They tried to throw a little body blow, but it was too late. They were already knocked out. And uh, hats off to Chicago. I mean, you got to give them a lot of credit because – uh, you look at that secondary, and I couldn't name one of those guys playing back there. And you look at the, you know, offensively, they did a little bit better last week against Denver, but they struggled mightily. They've been asking for this coordinator to get fired. Uh, they came out and guns a blazing, man. Justin Fields was putting ball in the money. DJ Moore was relentless with his ability to just beat whoever they put on him. St. Juice, it was Forbes, it was Fuller. Just pick your poison. And they they played two deep one time. They hit a whole shot. So whatever Washington did defensively. Chicago had an answer, and, and hats off to them. And, and I don't know what's wrong with Washington's defense, but they have to figure something out, especially in the secondary and linebacker. You know, I'm glad you actually mentioned Chicago. I think a lot of fans here are focused on just how bad Washington was, and they were bad. Um, but I, I thought I, I said uh, I, I said earlier that if I were just an NFL fan last night, I would have really appreciated the position Chicago was in coming in and the game they played because they were awful as a team defensively coming in. I mean, they were Denver bad, um, and they played the best game they played all year defensively. And then offensively, they were good last week, and you know they've got potential. 
But I, I just thought that they were flawless in the first half in particular. And I, you, at some point, not 40 to 20, it's a lot on you, obviously. But at some point, too, you've got to tip the cap and say the other team played pretty well. Yeah, for sure. And this is what everybody thought Chicago would be before the season. Right. Justin Fields is going to make this huge strides to being a great quarterback. And, and he struggled mightily early. And, and uh, then he started to show signs last week. But then he had cru- crucial turnovers and, and sacks and fumbles against Denver, which cost him the game. When Justin Fields protects the ball, doesn't turn the ball over, doesn't run into sacks, Chicago can pretty, be pretty good on offense. I mean, they, they played the whole second half without a tailback, for God's sake. I know. And I don't even know who the secondary guys were they were running out on the field. When, when Strowman got hurt, they ran this guy out with, uh, uh, I don't know, number six, I think he was. Yeah. So, I mean, these guys played, and, and Iberfus is still blitzing, doing some double-A gaps and blitzing the nickel. It was, <laughs> right. it, was, it was an impressive performance by Chicago. And obviously, you know, you, you have to look at Washington and figure out what happened, but they just could never get something going, and they just got ambushed early and couldn't recover. Did you think the field goal, if he makes that field goal and it's 30-23 to 23 with just over five minutes to go, that they've got a legit shot? I did. Yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. Um, got it to seven. I think everybody's got hope. I think the defense comes running out there with a little pep in their step and um, maybe makes a play. But when you're down ten, two possessions with like five minutes to go or whatever it is, that's, that's a heart-wrenching feeling. But – you know, it should have never got out of hand in the first place, in my opinion. I mean, offensively, in the first half, you know, the first drive of the first half, right, it's 7 nothing. They got third and five, and they run a stick concept, and Logan Thomas gets the first down. I think you guys probably didn't see that. They gave him a terrible spot. They go for it on the, or they, they – The third and one. It was second and five, yeah. and they – on third and one, you know, they run a dive up the middle, lose two yards, and have to punt. You know, so I don't know if you waste a challenge there or not for a minimal gain like that, but – that was an unfortunate spot, and that killed them. And then all of a sudden, it's ten nothing, and then they get stopped again. It's seventeen to nothing, and then and the floodgates were open. Yeah, that I I I mentioned that that I wasn't sure if it was a good spot or or a bad spot on that on that play. I don't think that you use a challenge there because you're playing a team coming in that you think you're going to shred, you know, and it's third and less than one, um, but. Uh, you may have been right. We never got a legitimate replay on that that play. Um, you know, you can't go back at forty to twenty, right? Or can you? And say, man, if they Not actually the first drive of the game would have been first and ten at the thirty-five. I know it opens up a whole new thing. And seven three or seven seven. I think the way the defense for the Bears has been over the course of the season. Yeah, but. And then it's ten nothing. Then you have a t- tough drive, and then it's seventeen and nothing. And she, so Pete, that was unbelievable. <laughs> Let me just say, I think <laughs> I think Jay had Washington laying the six points last night. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, the only reason it's not any disrespect to Chicago's players, anything, I just knew that they were battered and bruised up, and they flew to Denver on Sunday. I had to fly back to Chicago, and then all the way here. It's not all the way. It's not that far, but yeah. and then here and they're. You know, new secondary, and they don't have much of a pass rush. They haven't the whole season. Yannick hasn't really done anything, and and they still get five sacks somehow, some way. Um, yeah, it was, it's just they played out of their mind. I mean, sometimes when your back's in the corner and people are calling you names, grown men will fight back, and that's what Chicago did. Yeah, they really, they really did. And just back to um, the missed field goal again, because I really, I saw a Chicago team 
that was hemorrhaging. I, I, they were trying to run the clock out. I think they almost started to try to run the clock out at the end of the third quarter, you know, towards, uh, towards the end of the third quarter. They were gassed. Like you said, they're players coming in that are backups to the backups. You have no idea who these people are. They got a fullback playing running back because every running back's lost. And I just thought the game pressure of it being a seven-point game with five minutes to go, they would have been in deep trouble. Yeah. Uh, and the other play that was crucial, other than the missed field goal, was the non-call on Terry. You know, how do you throw a flag right there and then say, and then pick it up and say, "Oops, sorry, I shouldn't have thrown it." The guy standing right there. It was an underthrown ball. Terry tried to come back to it. The guy had no vision on the ball whatsoever, uh, and it was a flag. And they picked it up and said, "Oh, never mind." And they end up. That's I think that's the drive where they missed the field goal instead of being first and ten at the fifteen going in. Was that was that the drive? You may you may be right. I, I thought um. I actually didn't think that that was a bad pickup of the flag. I did not think it was DPI. Well, why do you throw it then? Yeah. yeah don't throw the flag. <laughs> so uh, Obviously, I w- you saw something there as a referee to throw the flag. Yeah. So he tries, throws it. Well, let me ask you if you, were, if you were the coach of the Bears in that moment, you looked up and you saw the replay, wouldn't you be pissed that it was thrown? Well, it was an underthrown go ball, right, which happens all the time. Yep. Terry tried to stick his foot in the ground and come back, and the guy did not allow him access to do that. And he had no vision on the ball whatsoever, and Terry was not able to come back because of the defensive back holding him or in his way or whatever. Um, I know there's no face guarding anymore, but I thought it was a clear uh, disruption of Terry's ability to come back to the ball because the defensive back right. held him. That's just me. You know how fans react to these kinds of things. Um, you know, it's a coaching loss. They were unprepared. They were outcoached. Uh, what a despicable display of readiness for a game in, that's on national TV uh, that you got to win because you've lost two in a row. Um, what did you think? Is, is this the kind of loss that you hang on a head coach and his staff? Well, I think there has to be some accountability for the players and the technique that they use. Maybe that's coaching, especially in the secondary. I don't think there's any excuse to give. After giving A.J. Brown 150 or 160 yards last week, uh, and then Chicago really have a one receiver that's uh, really legitimate. I mean, Moody's a good player. He got hurt a little bit. And to allow him to get 200-plus yards and three touchdowns, I think is a little bit of coaching, a little bit of technique work for the secondary. But that can't happen. You know, I mean, it just can't happen. I can see some quarterback design runs, and I can see Fields scrambling and getting some yards and, and doing some things. Maybe Cole Clement over the middle every once in a while, but to have DJ Moore hit you for 250, that's that's hard to fathom. And offensively, you know, they just they just didn't get the ball a whole lot in the first half. They had a three and out early, and then they had another uh, quick one. And next thing you know, they're down 17 and nothing and trying to play catch up. So it was a very difficult position for the offense to be in. Defensively is where you just got to look at what what. What are they doing? What happened, and why? That's the biggest issue. Well, why do you? Other than coverage, what else? What else did you see last night? Well, I was disappointed in the push, the pressure, and I, I think Herbert had way too many runs between the tackles for gashes. I mean, they had two runs on third and seven plus. They just ran Draws. inside zone right up the middle yeah. for first down, and and uh, that can't happen with that front. And the linebackers got to step up and make some plays. And I don't know if it's the linebackers losing gaps. Gap their gap uh, integrity or defensive line getting out of their gap integrity, whatever it is, but there there shouldn't be gashes like that. I don't care if it's a light box or not. There should be a solo gap football. There should be a body in there, and there should be a helmet, you know, on the running backs' numbers. 
within four or five yards all the time. They can't let Herbert run for 10 yards on third and eight. That just can't happen. And then, you know, some of the design runs, like I said, those are good plays. Uh, Getsky did a good job. Um, but D.J. Moore, whole shots, cover two safety, bad technique, you know, man-to-man, outside leverage, letting the guy get inside and back outside and just losing them and just getting beat by 10 yards. That can't happen. Um, trying to break on these, uh, these these short hitch routes and, and not securing a tackle, going for the ball and letting D.J. Moore catch it and run for 50 yards after the catch, that can't happen either. Those are technical issues that defensive backs uh, have to work on and make sure they secure tackles before they go for the ball. I mean, you can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't just let the guy catch a hitch and run for 50 yards. Yeah, uh, and you know one of those was Emmanuel Forbes, and eventually they benched him and put Danny Johnson in the game. Uh, how do you handle a young corner, first round pick that's clearly struggling? Well, you know that's unfortunate. He's obviously got some talent, but he's got to get himself in positions. You know, he did it against AJ Brown. He bit. Um, they gave up a, a hitch and go on him. He caught a couple short passes and broke tackles. He's got himself. He's not a very big guy, but there has been corners that not that big that have been very successful. I think there was one here, Daryl Green. He wasn't very big, but he got people on the ground. He's got to get people on the ground after the catch. He's got great ball skills, but he's got to make sure he secures tackles before he goes for these. The interceptions will come, but he's got to make sure he plays sound technique and gets people on the grass first and not allow big plays. That's Why is he even on DJ now. Moore and AJ Brown? Uh, maybe he's their best corner. You know, it's Kendall Fuller or him, right? So I think, uh, you know, we had Kendall Fuller here. We drafted him in the third round. We put him at nickel. So, uh, you know, and Kendall's a, a good corner, but Forbes was drafted in the first round and has all the hype, and he's supposed to be a shutdown ball hawk corner. Um, do you remember, is there a game that, you know, was super ugly like this? where the noise was increased and the noise is there today. It is, they want Del Rio fired. They want Rivera fired. Personally, I, I don't think anything's going to happen. I think this new ownership group is going to just sit back and and wait until the end of the year before they do anything. But do you remember how you felt, how you handled these kinds of, you know, day after games? Yeah, it was at my first year. I felt the heat after like five games, four games. You know, the whole thing. Second year, I felt it early in the season. You know, and so we made that run after we beat Tampa and came back. I felt the heat. I felt the heat every game, Kevin. That's just the way it is around here. You feel the heat when you lose. This is a very proud franchise with fans that care deeply about their football team and haven't won since the Joe Gibbs run that he had. So uh, they're they're dying for success, and when they don't get it, they want change and. That's what they want. That's what's going to happen. So you just got to go as business as usual. You got to make sure you continue to work and fight and battle and, and prepare the best way you can and try to get the players in the best position as possible to win football games moving forward. And you got to try to ignore the noise and focus on your job and make sure the players focus on their job and quit looking at Twitter, quit looking at Instagram, whatever the heck they're looking at, and just focus on the next opponent and the next day and uh, go from there. Certainly don't want to go back and look at your Instagram of your prediction of game, uh, the game last night or whatever. Yeah, that yeah, was. no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Look. That's uh, not a good pick. And I, I, I take accountability for that. I take very, I take a lot of pride in my uh, preparation for my pick. You know, I don't put any money on there like you guys do, but you know, I try to help some people out. And yeah. on paper, if you look at the game, defensive line for Washington should have been better than the offensive line for Chicago, right? 
the offensive line for Washington should have been better than the defensive line for Chicago. And the secondary was not as good as the receivers for Washington. So the matchups all pointed in the favor of Washington. However, you still have to strap it up and play the game. Yeah. And there's something called intensity, fire, uh, momentum. Momentum was just huge in that game. It was just it was one way the whole first half, and Washington can never get it back. Look, that's why it's a great game. You can never predict it. Look, you're talking to a guy who, during the course of the week, did a call segment on his radio show where I said, "What's your concern level on the defense after the Philadelphia game?" Five very concerned, zero zero concerned. I said, "I'm only a zero point five. I wasn't concerned at all. I just thought that they had played Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts, and I actually didn't think the defense was that bad against Buffalo, um, and uh, and that it would it would come around. I was a little bit concerned about the." secondary, but I, I, I was clearly dead wrong. There is something going on defensively that ain't right. Oh, one more question on the defense. It was clear early to me, tell me if I'm right or wrong, that the plan wasn't to rush Justin Fields. It was to kind of contain rush. Like you could see some of the replays of, of some of those early play actions where he just stood in the pocket completely without pressure and found receivers down the field, including a third and 14 touchdown throw to a wide open receiver. How often do you see that? But was that what they were doing early? It was more about, Hey, we don't think you can beat us from the pocket. We're going to just play contain rush. Yeah. I mean, over the first four games, that's probably the case. You watch him in the pocket. You saw him against Tampa Bay struggle. He stepped into a lot of sacks. Tampa Bay didn't get a lot of pressure, but they still sacked him because he, he had nobody open. He just ran into sacks. So, yeah, that probably was the plan. Hey, don't lose contain. Just keep your eyes on the quarterback and be ready to get off blocks when he takes it down and run, and we'll cover him in the secondary and, and, and go from there and make him beat us with his arm. Unfortunately, Justin's figured out how to throw the ball in hole shots and, and guys wide open down the sideline and, and made some plays. So, uh, eventually your plan has to change in the first quarter. Hey, we got to go get this. We got to go hunting fast and we got to get him on the ground now and not let this guy set his feet and throw. And unfortunately, that didn't take place until late in the third quarter. Was there any player on defense that you thought played okay? No, not one. Um, no, Payne had some plays up the middle in there. And, and But, you know, I still think that some of those inside zones and the draws on third down, I just was disheartening to me. That, that, that was a gut punch. Um, but, yeah, I just think they all underachieved last night. And then the secondary was just absolutely lost. And they had no answer for anything that they did. They played cover two. They hit whole shots, like I said. They played, you know, man-to-man on one side. They'd get D.J. Moore matched up over there. They went three by one, D.J. by himself, and they tried to overload the three-man side, man up the weak side, and, and D.J. Moore touchdown. I mean, it was just a – it was it was no answer for the best player on the field. Um All right, let's talk about Sam Howell because that's a weekly conversation as we try to find out this year whether or not this is a quarterback that's going to be around here as a starter for a long time. What did you see from him last night? Well, you look at the stat line. If he has, you know, I think 35 or more passes, it's probably going to be a loss. You know, they have to stay balanced. They couldn't last night. They were down 17 nothing before they got their shoes tied out of the tunnel and uh, they had to play catch-up. So it it was a... bad representation of what Sam Howell is all about. He, he's a gritty fighter type guy, still taking way too many sacks. I think he took five more last night. He's on pace to break the record in the NFL. Um, but they have to stay balanced. they got to get Brian Robinson involved and obviously Gibson in the backfield. And they need to throw the ball like 25 to 30 times to have a chance and, and stay balanced and stay on track. But 
you know, they're just not good enough right now up front um, to throw the ball 50-plus times. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, I, I think the last two games, what I've noticed, tell me if I'm right or wrong, is that there is a little bit more decisiveness. The ball's coming out quicker. Maybe that's just the scheme and the play calling. Not that he does it all the time because he took, you know, that team had two sacks coming in. They had five last night, and I thought it could have been seven or eight. He got out of uh, uh, several of those sacks. Yeah. But are yeah. you, are you, I know it's amazing how many times he got out of it. Um, but are you seeing, you know, the ball come out a little bit quicker, him processing a little bit faster or not? A little bit, yeah. There are certain, uh, times in the game where he does that, where he sets his feet and lets it rip when he sees it. You know, sometimes if the rush comes a little bit, he can't see his intended receiver. Like he had a, he had one at the goal line. It might have been a two-point play. It was the two-point play, Gibson. Yeah, but he he just couldn't see. I don't think he could see over the three technique. So then he scrambled around, and that's that's the biggest issue. His height sometimes comes into play. Kind of, you know, he bends his knees when he's getting ready to throw, and he he shrinks a little bit where he can't see. Drew Brees stood on his toes. Uh, I don't know if that's an issue or not, but you know, he has some pocket awareness issues still he's dealing with. But overall, I think he's shown enough where he can make all the throws. He's got athletic ability to keep putting them in there and keep letting them develop and see how he does. I think he's got some talent. He's got the arm talent. He's got the, uh, he's got the tenacity. He's got the mental toughness, the physical toughness to warrant. Keep going with Sam and, and see how he does, see how he progresses. All right. Um, the next uh, opponent is Atlanta on the road, and it's like this, you know, long period after you know a Thursday night game. How is it for you guys in this spot? You know, I think as fans, a lot of us realize how week to week this league is, and how quickly things change. I mean, we went from Buffalo to Philadelphia. I, they lost the game against Philadelphia, but they played completely different to what they did last night. How much, you know, how do, how do you handle messaging the players that this is a league that just changes so quickly and, you know, it's, we're two and three. We still have a chance. Yeah, I mean, they're two and three, and Chicago's one and four. Who feels better right now, the one and four team or the two and three team? Right. The one and four team feels like they won the Super Bowl and the sky's the limit for them. The two and three team feels like the world's about to end. So I think the most important thing, you give them a couple of days off here, and then when they come back to work, you tell them they better be focused, ready to go, give it their best shot every single day of their existence when they in that when I enter that building over there at Dashburn. So um, it should be all about football when they come back, um, all about taking care of each other, working to get better, and figuring this thing out, and trying to get to three and three against Atlanta. You get to three and three against Atlanta, then you know everybody's going to be feeling better, and you'll still have a chance to, you know, play for wild card or division championships. Now, let's talk about the other NFL games this weekend. There is a big, big game Sunday night. Uh, Dallas at San Francisco. What are your thoughts on that one? That'll be a good one. I just think uh, Dallas, um, you know, they better figure out how to stop the run um, because they're going to see a heavy dose of it, especially to the left behind my guy, Big Trent. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think uh, San Fran just has too many ways to hurt you. You know, if they want to – buckle down and try to stop the run and the play passes with Purdy and Ayuk and Samuel are sick and Kittle. Uh, and if they want to play coverage, then, then Christian McCaffrey will hurt them pretty bad in the running game. And then offensively, I just think somebody's got to step up other than C.D. Lamb. Last year, C.D. had like 10 catches against them and did pretty well, but nobody else did anything. The running game was non-existent. No other receiver stepped up. So Cooks, Gallup, Ferguson, somebody on offense has to step up and Dak has to stay on track. They don't want to be known in known passing situations like Washington was last night. Otherwise, it'll be a 
it'll be a debacle. But if they could keep the game close in the fourth quarter, then sure Dallas has a chance. But I just think San Fran has too much going for them now. They have an elite pass rusher, an elite linebacker, an elite safety. And obviously, offensively, they have so many different ways to hurt you. I mean, I actually, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think, on the radio show. I don't think people realize how good Brandon Ayuk is. Like, I, I think he is, I mean, Samuel's great. Kittle's great. McCaffrey's great. Trent's great. They've got true superstars, you know, at in so many spots. But I think Ayuk's becoming that. Do you like him or not? I do like him a lot. He's really progressed from his first year. He was uh, not really sure of himself, but now he knows where he's going. He knows how to get there, and he's a powerful runner, and he's good after the catch. The other thing about the 49ers receivers are they have the most incredible, incredibly incredible blocking receivers there is in football. Debo will block your face off. Ayuko block. They bring in this Jennings, Jawan Jennings guy. He'll block linebackers and defensive ends. I mean, they're – that's why they're so successful running game. I know McCaffrey's great, but you have to have receivers that will dig out for us, block corners, block safeties, and those guys are great at doing that. And and they're big and they're strong. And and uh, then the, then Kyle's famous for the play actions off of those runs, and that's why they're so effective. Uh, I got to give you credit. You called Houston even before the last two weeks. You you thought Stroud maybe the the best in the class and they've destroyed two straight opponents Jacksonville and Pittsburgh and they look like right now maybe the surprise team of the NFL four games into the season I know they're injured they've got some injuries uh, heading into the game against Atlanta but uh as you look at that division are you picking Houston to win this division do you think they can win the division? I am, actually. Yeah, I actually think they can. They get some of these linemen back. I think they're pretty good. I really do. I think this Dell and Nico Collins and Robert Woods is a great uh, role player. He can do it all, like I mentioned about blocking. And Pierce is a good running back. And CJ has the poise and the accuracy and anticipation of a, of a 10-year vet right now. So I'm impressed with Houston. And I think uh, DeMarco, DeMar- DeMarco Ryans is a very good defensive football coach. He'll get them in positions to succeed. And uh, I think that'd be a good pick. Take Houston to win a division and take Ryan to be coach of the year. What did you think of Zach Wilson and the Jets on Sunday night? Well, he got better. I mean, he should. He's been there for a few years now. It's not like he's a, a free agent slappy off the street. This is like a top <laughs> draft pick. He's got some talent. I mean, let's work with his talent. He's got a couple good receivers, right? And, uh, and a good running game. They got two dominant running backs. I know their offensive lines in shambles a little bit. They've struggled, but they're not terrible. They're not as bad as a lot of these offensive lines in pro football. So yeah, they should be good. They should be better, and they have an elite defense. So um, it's good to see him, you know, silence the critics a little bit. They still lost. He still dropped a key snap late in the game. But you know, if he can get away from his mistakes and protect the football and punt when they have to punt. The Jets' defense will keep them in the game until the fourth quarter, no matter who they play. Yeah, I, I, I said watching Sunday night to my son who was with me that night, I'm like, you know, if Aaron Rodgers hadn't got hurt, this is a this would have been a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Like, they would have had a chance to win the whole thing. Well, I I, I said after the first two games, I, didn't, I don't care if Joe Namath came back, they wouldn't have a chance because they couldn't protect, they couldn't get open, the route concepts, the protection schemes were awful. Hopefully they're getting better <laughs> in that yeah. regard and and protecting the quarterback a little bit better. So uh, if they can do that, then they'll have a chance uh, because their defense is so good. They, they have two elite corners, and, and they're, they're fun to watch. Um, do you sense at all that the Chiefs are just kind of coasting right now? Uh, like I, I've noticed that in, in years past where it almost looks like they get a little bit bored at times with the regular season. What are you seeing with them? Yeah, I just think they – 
you know, the receiving core is is not very good right now, right. and and they have to have somebody else besides Kelsey that can that can stretch a defense or force cover two or something. Right now, they don't have that. Um, they can cover Kelsey, and everybody else is really non-existent. Sky Moore's got to step up. Valdez Cantley's got to, somebody's got to step up on that receiving core for them to get better. And then Patrick just can't force the ball, you know, like he did against the Jets a couple times. But Patrick's, you know, Patrick's Packers, they'll be fine. They'll get the ball in the end zone three or four times a game. Their defense is playing extremely well, and, and they'll still win 12, 13 games probably. Do you give Minnesota a shot at home Sunday? Uh, yeah, of course you have to. You know, Kirk at home in a dome with Justin Jefferson offensively. Um, they should be able to move the ball a little bit. I just worry about them defensively a little bit, trying to stop them. But, you know, uh, school, school, the school chants are pretty loud there. It's pretty intimidating to play at that place. But I still think Kansas City's overall a better team. All right, two more. Um, real quickly on the Giants. Uh where are you on Daniel Jones? Because I, I think you've liked Daniel Jones since he's come into the league. Where are you on him? Well, I just wish they had somebody to help them. You know, they need Saquon back. They need to get their offensive line back intact. You know, when you can't really run the ball and you're forced to throw the ball and you can't protect and you don't have receivers to get open, it's really tough for a quarterback. I don't know if you guys understand how hard it is to play quarterback when nobody's open and nobody's blocking. It's really difficult. So <laughs> they have to get some kind of yeah. weapons outside. they got to get the people open somehow, and Daniel's got to make sure he's at least see. I was glad to see him uh, run for 50 or 60 yards. I feel like for the Giants to have a chance, in a game, he has to rush for over 50 yards. He has to make some plays. Quarterback design runs like Justin Fields had uh, last night, um, and he's got to use his legs on third down to convert some first downs and try to keep the ball moving. The problem they have is they don't have any big playability right now, so all their drives have to be uh, you know, 10 plays, 75 yards, and that's very difficult in the NFL with the, with the players that they have. So it's going to be a struggle for them. And defensively, they're not really good enough to keep them in games uh, for four quarters, they're going to give up some big plays because they're not really talented on defense either. So they're going to—it's going to be a tough day for them against Miami, in my opinion. All right, what's your uh, what's your lock of the week? I, I'm trying—you did Miami. hit Miami, Miami. Oh, you did hit on Miami. your pick last week. You had Seattle last week, so you're you're two and one now in the last three weeks. I forget where you were in week one. So you like you like the Dolphins uh, laying the twelve and a half now. It's up to twelve and a half over the Giants at home. Yeah, I think the Giants' defense has not been very good, and they're playing against one of the best offenses uh, in the last five years in Miami. So, yeah, the speed of Miami's offense, and then Miami's defense has been struggling, but the Giants really don't have anything to hang their hat on. They don't have an identity right now. If Saquon comes back, that'll help. They need to get Andrew Thomas back their left tackle. If they're both healthy, then I'll give them a chance to cover that line, but if not, uh, there's no chance. In my opinion, I think it'll be about a 25-30 point game. All right, I lied. One more. You grew up an Ohio State fan, didn't you? No. Heck no. I, I was born in Ohio, but my dad coached at IU and Notre Dame, so I never liked Ohio State. So who was your team? Was it Notre Dame? When he was a coach there, when he got fired by Jerry Faust, we hated Notre Dame. <laughs> We're a very loyal, groovy group. You know, if you... If you fire us, we don't like you. <laughs> I like Washington now because the owner's gone. So I root for Washington now because I know some people there on the field and, and on staff. So I pulled for them. I pulled for them last night. And didn't work out. But no, I'm a, in college, I'm a Louisville guy because I went to Louisville. Yeah, well, I, I understand that. You're alma mater. I just, Jeff Brom, man. Louisville's 4 0. Did you know that? I, they're 5 0, I think. I think they're 5 0. I think they're 5 0. I think they're 5 0, and I think they have. Um, 
who do they have this week? They have a tough game. They play Notre Dame this week, I think. Notre Dame. Notre Dame, Dame yeah. yeah. Notre Dame. Um, all right. Good job. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's good to catch up the day after a game. I will talk to you next week. You got it. Thanks, Kevin. See you. Jay Gruden, everybody. The smell test to finish up the show next. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell, smell test. test. The smell test brought to you by my good friends at my bookie who are continuing to offer an incredible cash bonus on your initial deposit of 110%. This is exclusive to just the listeners of this podcast. You go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. This isn't going to be something that you find on their site. It's exclusive to just this audience. Use my promo code KevinDC. You can deposit up to $1,000, minimum $50, and they will give you 110% in cash on top of that. So if you deposit 1000 bucks, they give you an extra $1,100. So you'll have $2,100 in your account before you ever make your first wager. This was the very nice offer that my bookie made our audience because of Washington's 2-0 start. They're 2-3 and three now. Uh, but who's counting? This is a very generous offer. Even if you have a place where you're currently betting, it would be insane to turn down this money and to have another place to compare on point spreads, money lines, totals, etc. My bookie is a fair place to bet. You get paid if you win, and they're offering something that no other sports book in the world is offering. 110% on your initial deposit. Take advantage of it by going to mybookie.ag and using my promo code Kevin DC. Uh, before I get to my picks, I just want to mention real quickly Maryland at Ohio State tomorrow. I'm really excited. 12 noon, Fox. One of the biggest games Maryland's had in a long, long time. I mean, it may be all the way back to 2001, Ralph Regan's first year. They started 7-0, and and they went down to Tallahassee to face Florida State as the 10th-ranked team in the country. Uh, they lost that game. They went on to win the ACC uh, championship that year. Maryland's not ranked 10th now. They are 26th. They're just outside the rankings. But at 5-0 and and coming off what I really think was their best complete game of the year, the blowout win last week over Indiana, they're playing Ohio State in Columbus. They're 19-point underdogs. But there is a sense that a lot of people have that Ohio State's not Ohio State this year. They're not as good as they've been. They're not as explosive as they've been. The quarterback's been, you know, iffy so far. And Maryland's an experienced team. They went to Michigan last year, if you recall, uh, and they nearly knocked off the Wolverines in the big house. They lost that game 34-27. to At home late in the season, they were down three with the ball against Ohio State in College Park in the fourth quarter. They have been run over in Columbus since they entered the Big Ten, but there is a sense among Maryland fans like me that tomorrow they've got a chance to be more competitive. Uh, Ohio State is laying a big number, and the action is on Maryland. Uh, Ohio State's not in the smell test, but... um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I really like this team. I love the job that Loxley's done. And tomorrow could be a massive step. You know, 
no moral victories if it's a close loss, but it would be encouraging and it would show progress, even though, again, they played Ohio State and Michigan close last year, but they haven't played Ohio State uh, closely in Columbus. Uh, I think the Terps hang in there. I think they lose a game that looks something like 38-28, to 28, something like that. Uh, but I think they hang in there and they play a really good game. And, you know, the games this year against Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State are the three games that they will be underdogs in. But they've got a chance to to win the rest of their games and go 10-3 and three in the regular season and maybe go 9-3 and three in the regular season and maybe win a bowl game to end up with 10 wins, double-digit wins. Uh, I know Maryland fans are excited about this tomorrow. A lot of Maryland fans are Orioles fans, too. They're excited about the Orioles opening up the playoffs at Camden Yards tomorrow against the Rangers as well. Busy sports weekend for sure. All right, let's get to the smell test. Last week, 8-7, and 25-22-2 on the year. Let me rip through these uh, pretty quickly. Uh, got a couple of MAC games, Mid-American Conference games, for tomorrow. Nothing tonight. Uh, I like Buffalo tomorrow. Buffalo is a three-point dog against Central Michigan. Uh, Central Michigan's three and two. Buffalo's one and four. The line is super short. Public backing Central Michigan. Give me Buffalo plus the three. Bowling Green is catching 10 at Miami of Ohio. That line opened at 12. It's down to 10. A ton of sharp money on Bowling Green. A lot of public money on Miami of Ohio. Beautiful college town that Oxford, Ohio is. Uh, Some of you are familiar with Oxford, Ohio and Miami of Ohio. I mean, just, you know, one of these perfect kind of uh, Americana College small towns. It's beautiful there. Anyway, Bowling Green plus the 10 against Miami O. Uh, I like Purdue plus three against Iowa. That line is short. Uh, Iowa coming off uh, a win over Michigan State. Purdue's been pretty good this year. They've been much better than I think people thought they would be. UCLA is laying three and a half against unbeaten Washington State. UCLA is very good on defense. Washington State is a massive public play uh, for the weekend in all of football. UCLA minus the three and a half. They're excellent on defense. I like AM getting the points against Bama, uh, plus three at home against Alabama. I think Alabama is still a work in progress offensively. I think AM is very good on defense. It's not going to surprise me if AM wins that game and wins that game big. Uh, it's about time they, you know, sort of live up to some of the expectations of this Jimbo Fisher uh, era and all of their, you know, number one recruiting classes and all of the NIL money that they're doling out. I think A&M tomorrow is a good day for Aggieland. I like A&M plus the three. Georgia's laying a big number to Kentucky. Uh, it's 14 and a half. I'll buy the half point and take Georgia laying the 14 against undefeated Kentucky. And then the biggest play perhaps of tomorrow, if it's not um, Washington State, is Michigan laying 18 against a Minnesota team that the public really deems to be pretty poor. There's some sharp money on Minnesota as well. I'll take the Gophers plus the 18. Let's go to Sunday. Uh, the opening game of Sunday is another international game. Buffalo laying five and a half against the Jags. I'll take Jacksonville plus the five and a half. Uh, they won last week in the international game. Buffalo coming off that, 
you know, big time win, blowout win over Miami. There's a lot of expectations on Buffalo this week. I'll take the underdog there. Uh, this one is going to make you wince um, and perhaps even get sick a little bit. Uh, the Giants plus 12 and a half at Miami. Miami is the biggest NFL public play of the day. Nothing's really close to it. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up on this. I want you to check in with me on Twitter before kickoff on Sunday. If that line goes to 13 and a half, 14, I'm off it. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it just would mean sharp money's coming in late on uh, on the Dolphins. If that line stays at 12 and a half or even dips a little bit, stay on. Uh, I'll stay on the Giants. But look, it fits the formula. Uh, you know, we saw it last night with Washington. Uh, the public just pounding uh, the the home team last night, and they're going to pound the, uh, the, the Dolphins because the Giants looked so awful last week. Uh, the Rams plus four at home against Philly, and Dallas, yeah, Dallas plus three and a half against the 49ers. Uh, the 49ers are a big public play, and there is super sharp money on Dallas. All right, uh, that makes it, what does that make it? Uh, 11 picks for the weekend. Buffalo plus three, that's Buffalo in College football, Purdue plus three, UCLA minus three and a half, Bowling Green plus 10, Texas A&M plus three, Georgia minus 14, Minnesota plus 18, uh, and then the Jags plus five and a half, the Giants plus 12 and a half. Uh, just check back on that one. The Rams plus four and the Cowboys plus three and a half. All right, that is it following a very, very difficult night last night for a lot of fans of this football team. That was a blow to the hopes that they would be, you know, more than just a middling team this year. You know, that they would sort of establish themselves with a a win over a bad team in Chicago and maybe a couple of more against Atlanta and the Giants to get to 5-2 and and then... Who knows where that could go to. Instead, 2-3, and three, the ugliest loss by far of the year. One of the ugliest losses, truly, of the Ron Rivera era. You know, the Cleveland game at the end of last year was bad. Remember at the end of the COVID year in 2021, they got blown out in Dallas 56-14. to 14. But those COVID games were strange. Um, the Cleveland game was a massive disappointment for sure. Last night, though, in terms of a Thorough beating, again, even though they got back into the game at the very end and had a chance, but that first half is one of the absolute, you know, start to end of half one-sided beatings we've seen a Ron Rivera team take. There have been a few of them, but I don't know if anything resembles last night. I I think this was more equivalent to, although they got back into the game, but the Monday night massacre against Philadelphia in 2010 where it was I think it was 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter but one play into the second quarter it was 35 to nothing that was a debacle so was last night uh back at it on Monday enjoy the football weekend Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. 
And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.